0: So today on the podcast, we have Ricardo Uuelve, and he is a first-gen student. He graduated from Cal State LA in 2017. Uh, he did a bachelor's in electrical engineering. Um, he's done a lot of other things, but um, mm-hmm. among them, he's also um, he's an electrical engineer in the field, and he's also a grad student. So as an electrical engineer, you worked as a contractor, and then... You also worked at a company called OnRobot. Um, you worked for AT&T for some time. Um, and then you founded your own company named Electric Universe. Um, you're, he's really politically involved. And let's see what else. Um, you're going right now to Syracuse University um, to do a computer science degree where you're doing an emphasis in artificial intelligence. So I, I think that sums it up.
1: I think so, yeah, absolutely. I think you you covered everything, so.
0: All right, let's get, let's get into these questions. Sure. All right, so the first question is, um, as part of your bachelor's degree that you did at Cal State LA, you also did an English Lit minor.
1: Yeah, I came, I, I have an I have an interest in, in the English language and reading was like a big passion of mine. That's probably the first thing that I found interesting about school. And I was also always just better at it. Um, better at English than, you know, it's interesting, like on engineering, I'd be like extremely good at mathematics, but I was actually always better growing up at English for some reason. You know, math came later. So I loved reading. Uh, I loved writing stories like short stories. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's ai fun, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily engage in reading hobbies anymore. Um, I tend to just listen to books that I find interesting nowadays, um, you know, for varied reasons, but uh, I tend to fall asleep sometimes to books. Uh, the last one I've been listening to, I mean, people say reading, even though they're like hearing audiobooks, right? But the, the last one, I, <laughs> oh yeah, I read this book two days ago. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, on, uh, on Audible. But yeah, I've been listening to, um, it's a little old, World War Z um, oh, but, okay. you can imagine why right we're in this pandemic and there's somehow this thing popped up in my feed or i was reading something and somebody recommended it to me and like it's a really good book uh, a really good book to listen to i'm sure it's fantastic to read to um but yeah it was it's really fun and interesting considering what we're going through right now and there's a lot of like eerie similarities in, in terms of like the things that are discussed in the book and like stuff that's happening right now in the pandemic so it, it's always you know it's always interesting to, to read or hear listen or listen to something that's uh, relatable to your life right now so. do you have like a like an
2: author that you're particularly fond of
1: i do um well before this most of the time i spent time reading just like science and physics books of course right what an engineer oh, yeah. <laughs> um but like, I think the, the, the very first book that I ever, and I'll give you an author, the very first book I ever really, really, truly felt passionate about that was not like, uh, that was scientific was this book called Visions by this author named Michio Kaku. Dr. Michio Kakut. He's a physicist. And the book talked about, the book was written like sometime in the late 90s or something. And he talked about twenty or twenty-five years into the future, like around the time now, right? And all these things that were supposed to happen in that time, in terms of technological advancement. And you imagine, like, I've always loved thinking about the future, and reading that book really inspired me to, you know, to think about. I wouldn't say necessarily engineering as a discipline or something I would pursue, but just really in a creative way it was really interesting and really fun to read. So, yeah, mm-hmm. visions. Michio Kaku. He's got a whole uh library of books about physics physics of the future physics of the mind and they're all great so get a chance pick them up and listen that's to them I'm or or read them
0: <laughs> going going back to your the first book that you taught the world war z that's the same one that had the movie interpretation right
1: yeah exactly <laughs> and you know i was like oh i'm gonna be that person now um i actually saw the movie first <laughs> obviously i just read the book um And like one of these late night events that I sometimes just have, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch that movie. And um, I watched, I saw it like 10, when it came out, I don't know how long it And it was pretty good, but I just recently rewatched it. And of course I had just finished reading or listening to the book. And uh, it was an interesting movie. It was an entertaining movie, but I'm going to say in this instance, I'm going to be that guy. The book was better than the movie.
0: Better? yeah. I feel like usually I agree with you there. Me personally, I, I usually think that the books are better. It's just like they can fit so much more yeah. about the story in there. Yeah, you know, it was like um, it's kind of like what
1: really bothered me most about the movie was actually the special effects. I thought the story was great, but the special effects were like really outdated for like 2013 <laughs> or 14. Whenever that movie came out, like the physics were all off. And I'm that guy, by the way.
0: <laughs> he I'm that,
1: yeah, me. I'm the guy who says, you know what, those physics are off, and I just ruined the movie for everybody. Like, there's no way, like, a car should fly that way for that long, and there's no way a vehicle has that much fuel. I, I'm that person.
2: So. You're you're that guy to send out the uh, the email to the director, like, hey, you know what? I was watching, man, yes. and uh, yes. I add it up right here.
1: You know, the physics <laughs> of your movie, sir. The physics <laughs> of your movie were absolutely horrific. Like, there's yeah, like yeah.
0: physics fact checking, right? Of her,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah it was uh it was it was still a fun movie i'm not saying it wasn't watch it if you haven't seen it it was a fun entertaining movie but you know there's just things that stand out and, and uh it wasn't a good impression like the graphics were really bad but, but the yeah, idea was, was fun tough. like the idea the idea is fun in a scary way they did fun in a scary way because of the pandemic that we're in mm. and uh, that's kind of how it started in the movie as every other movie of that uh, genre so it's funny
0: how that like all of those movies suddenly became relevant I feel like they were trending for like a really long time and not like
1: <laughs> yeah like all this stuff like was the Netflix right like it was like a bunch of like what was that pandemic on Netflix or some other movie Walking or... Dead
0: was coming out roughly around the same time Hmm. Yeah, yeah Walking Dead Aww. so
1: all that stuff was like really hitting it big and obviously right now it's more relevant than ever or at least it's interesting it gives you a perspective <laughs> on reality
0: All right, so we're going to get a little bit more boring. (laughs) Sure. All right. Depends
2: who you talk to. Depends who you talk to.
0: Depends who you talk to. Yeah, I think a lot of people will find this um, informative. So the next question is, um, so like during your undergrad, I know like a lot of students, um, they're kind of in this point where they're deciding what kind of STEM career they want to have. I know for me, like I was actually between doing mechanical engineering and I kind of still like I think about it a lot. And I'm just like, man, I should go back and get my ME degree. Um, but I was between mechanical engineering, uh, mathematics, and computer science for a while. Right. So for all those students who are kind of like just starting out or, or they're in, in the middle of like their EE degree, what would you say are the topics that you actually still like use or were really helpful to you at some point in your career
1: the topics like you mean like specific courses or, or topics that were covered in classes that i think are most yeah. relevant right now as yeah. an electrical engineer mm-hmm. uh i'm going to say circuit uh, with circuit with uh professor tabrizi was really important like you have to it's be amazing. able to uh, understand yeah the, the shout out to professor tabrizi She's, <sighs> I think she might remember me. Uh yeah, circuits. Um what else?
0: I'm thinking about how it took three tries for one to pass my class. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: should I not say that? <laughs>
1: um, what else? I wanna mean, say the um most of the programming classes. Uh I took a C plus plus class, obviously extremely, extremely important. I mean it depends like if you if you wind up being an electrical or software engineer, like plus is a language you're definitely going to see so that was one of the most useful ones um you know it's an interesting question like I've asked this I've I've been asked this question before and I always feel like yeah, I really are those the only two courses that you found like you, you know that are useful for your professional career and I, I think it has to do with what you wind up doing and um and really it's not just the subject matter that's really important right and I'll say that I like to say this like it, it it teaches you, or I feel like it expands, it, it, how do I put it in the words, your, your brain grows. Um, it may not be necessarily a topic that's, you know, extremely relevant to what you're working on, but it's electricity and magnetism or some, some, some course that, uh, you know, that covers like really, really deep subjects. You may not need it immediately, but the fact that you sat through that for like 11, 12 weeks or whatever uh, the time is and, and really grew your brain in a way that it wouldn't have otherwise if you hadn't taken that course, right? And eventually at some point, you no, know, the, the stuff that's covered in there in some way or another comes back and you see it um, professionally. Uh, you're having a conversation with somebody or maybe a machine needs to be purchased and it's always something to fall back on, right? And furthermore, on this topic of this, the question of mathematics always comes up, right? Um, especially when you're dealing with like if you're tutoring kids or or anybody else in general that's taking a math course well what am I going to use math for right like oh do you use math every single day like what's that for and again it's the same thing it's not just the fact that you may or may not use mathematics in your everyday career right you may you may not but it's the fact that you know, you you sat there, and you guys can relate to this, and you solved, like, you know, enormously long and complex problems, and it took a while to understand them and and write them down, and then committing all that to memory, and what I'm saying is, like, it teaches you, uh, if you don't have it already, it improves a work ethic that, you know, you may otherwise not have developed on your own, right, and um, that's one of the most important things I gathered from really all the courses in the discipline you know not just any specific one ee class or one mathematics class did i answer your question
0: (laughs) yeah for sure i was a i was a math tutor for both like k through 12 and at some point like i did a couple of like private calculus lessons and stuff like that but that was a question that they used to (laughs) ask me all the time and i would always just tell them the truth like i would tell them honestly like if you're not going into a stem major you're probably never going to use this math yeah, and it, it's hard to tell people that but I mean it's like at the end of the day you know like there's certain things that going through the struggle of learning it does help you and then as part of requirements is like I don't know I feel like it's kind of just an important topic to like know that you can like you, you know that you can figure it out
1: Absolutely. Like, I mean, it's like you guys in your everyday life, like you're just dropped with something on your lap and somebody's like, just, Hey, do this. And like, Whoa. <laughs> what do I fall back on? I, I, I tend to fall back on like, Hey, come on, this is challenging. But is it as challenging as those math problems for like, <laughs> that I used to solve like you know, 20 steps for one problem? Uh, is it that complex? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a little more complex, but at least I have that in the back of my head, you know, Hey, I was able to do those. Why can't I solve this?
2: Yeah it's definitely I think it's definitely like how you mentioned Ricardo it's that discipline that you gain from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people mention like those math courses are are filters for students when they're actually going through their um, through their undergrad whether they can make it or not and it teaches you that problem solving characteristic that helps you throughout engineering right being able to be patient and continue to progress and continue to go forward and try to answer the question and if you can't do it then know that's the whole basis of of engineering whether it's electrical civil mechanical computer you have there's problem solving all the time and that mathematics courses definitely teaches you that the hard way for sure
1: it does and again it's like hey you know are you going to uh, let's say you didn't do so well the first time around are you going to develop the work ethic to do better the next time right or are you just going to quit essentially you know and the reality is like when people quit um, you know, a lot of people don't, but some people just quit. Sometimes it's just it's just too much. It's too much to invest, you know, hours and hours on end in a math problem that you may not find it to be so exciting, right? So, yeah, that def- people definitely. I
2: remember in my first or second year of college, I lost all of my friends to math. I lost <laughs> all of them. So <laughs> I remember after, like, year two, I'm like, yo, where are these guys? They dropped out. Uh, deal with the math and I'm like I'm like well I guess I gotta find more friends so
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll share a a story with you on that you know for everybody like uh it's fun and and nice to be on this side once you graduate but I I mean I I struggled you know like as I mentioned I was always good at English was better like my better subject anything related anything where anything where I could write about it I was always much better at it and I remember taking my my calculus class at Castelay the first time I've ever taken class and uh, I was like oh yeah this is this is fine you know this is fine whatever and I would use the same preparing methods that I use for English which was like read 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 and try to capture things right didn't do so well in that first calculus class I I did very little examples and so I knew that something had to change you know it wasn't a lack of trying or a lack of investment it was a lack of really knowing how to study for it as well so yeah Yeah. you're right I I lost friends too I almost lost myself (laughs)
2: Rest in, peace. Rest in peace. But anyways, um chris had mentioned that you were a um you were a math tutor as well. Um I mean what were some of the courses that you that you taught? Algebra, pre
1: algebra, calculus one two through one through three. Um well, so I was a math tutor, yeah. So I I specifically tutored um kids in like K through sixth, seventh and sometimes eighth. But it was mostly students who were already behind where they needed to be, right? And so there's always this, someone, your parents come up to you or something. This was, I was doing this while I was still in school. And uh, there's always this, it's a challenge to try to get somebody back into the groove of things or try to get them uh, really where they need to be, right? Because... As you guys know this like once you fall behind in like a day's worth of math like it, you're, you're done like you're you you're not going to pay attention the brain's not going to you know capture anything else you're going to think you you don't understand this you know and that's how you wind up heading you know hating math like that's what that tends to happen right it's not so what i do is i just go back to you know with every with every student i ever had or every person i ever tutored, it's like at which point that you get lost know if you're in the fifth grade and it was like adding uh you know four numbers together or if you're multiplying a double multiplication or whatever it is or division with more than one denominator or it, it, it depends on where you got lost what was the one thing that you just did not grasp and i go there and i try to explain things the way that i learned things like i need to i 'm very you know, methodical <laughs> I have a methodology about it right it, it has to be broken down to its smallest components, um, and so I just write absolutely every single step out for for any student that I try to teach or I try to get up the, the speed on something. And I find that it helps. Um, start off with some super simple examples of something and, and get the confidence built up again. Get them to think that this is something that you can, that they can do, right? That this isn't something that, like math is not this unachievable thing or, or being good at math is not this uh, unachievable goal that they can't make it because they're not good at math. And I try to tell them, hey, listen, I'm not good at math either. I, I just try really hard. You know, math does not just, come to me. Like the first time I see a problem, I'm like scratching my head. Like, what is this? And so I try to tell them that it's okay to not understand it the first time around, but there's a couple of things that you have to do. You have to be willing to reach out to somebody and say, Hey, listen, I don't understand this. But that's another problem. It's like, they don't reach out. You know, they don't have the resources or, or they've never been taught to, to raise their hand or they're shy about it because they feel like they're not good at it. And, and so I try to get them to overcome that, to think it, not being or you know, that being good at mathematics is not necessarily something that you're just born with, but something you develop. So um in, in terms of like more complex topics, I think I've I've always, you know, when I understood something, like even in school, like I try to share what I know in in a way that makes it understandable for me personally. And again, I, I like to break things down as much as I possibly can. Um I gave you some calculus examples when we were just taking the first calculus courses or getting, you know, understanding derivatives or the integrals. It's like this stuff was, like, beyond the scope of anything I'd ever seen before. And um, But but there were also other students who experienced this the same way, you know. And, um, you know, I tried to, again, break things down, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not repeating myself, but make it as simple as possible without being too wordy and just being, you know, write down every single possible step. If it's 27 steps, then make it 27 steps.
2: It seems like you're spending like a lot of time with these students, making sure that they, they understand each, each like conceptual aspect of that problem. How, I mean, that must be pretty fulfilling to be able to talk to a student. They don't understand it, spend a couple hours with them. And at the end of it, they're just like, I got this. Like, I, I didn't think I would be able to do it, but now I can. Like, how fulfilling is that?
1: Because it's, it's extremely fulfilling because number one, I love to teach stuff like, you know, stuff that I'm excited about, but most importantly, I like to get kids to get, you know, to build a confidence. Absolutely. It's, it's really, you got to get them to to really buy into your system, right? If they buy into your system and you're like, Hey, listen, I'm only here to help you. Uh, I'm not here, you know, for, for myself. I'm here to make sure that you understand this because I relate to you. Uh, I wasn't great at this particular portion in math. And they open up, they're like, hey, listen, this guy who's teaching me is not some math major shit who just knows everything because he knows everything. Like he actually went through a step. And when you get kids to understand a method, it may not be the first method you teach. Like not every method works for everybody, right? It may be the second method or the third method, but I think they appreciate the fact that I try to come up with the easiest possible method for them to understand something so that they are not confused and so they don't feel like math is this complex subject that they cannot tackle. So, yeah, right. rewarding, absolutely. That's awesome. That's so you said
0: awesome. that you also taught um, electrical engineering courses to kids?
1: I did. So I had this gig over at uh, this place called the LA, uh, LA Cleantech Incubator, and it was part of this sort of, it was at-risk youth, um, for at-risk youth, and they were like, you know, teenagers, early 20s. And it was really to expose them to you know things that they had not at that point in their lives been exposed to in terms of engineering and, and mathematics and really try to get them to to see other aspects of life um, that they may otherwise not have and um what we started doing was teaching them really basic electrical engineering topics with really amazing tools like I use like anything that makes electrical engineering fun like uh you know website's called um, Uh, every circuit that literally shows you circuits and LEDs. And everybody loves to work with LEDs, right? It's this fun thing that you get to do, (laughs) like putting some LED, turning on LED. It's like seeing light still amazes me, like hitting a switch and it's like, oh, wow, there's light, right? When you go down and break that stuff down to like batteries and LEDs and resistors and you make something as simple as, you know, a a little LED turn on, I think you'll find most of the time that people get amazed by that kind of stuff because it's fun, right? I get amazed by it. And uh, so what we were doing is we taught them basic circuits and some basic programming using uh, this system called Arduino's. I don't know if you guys have heard of Arduino's. Yeah. And so so we taught them basic programming concepts, how to you know how to turn on an LED, uh, how to rotate a motor, uh, because when you start to really teach them those basic things, if they're really interested in it, then no they'll continue and move on to other more complex things but it's teaching those very basic things and and again to ask the at-risk youth who've never been presented with these kind of topics before I found it you know majority of the the reception was like positive they enjoyed what they were doing and um, unfortunately I don't know what happened to them It was just kind of like I taught it twice and uh, you know we were successful in having most of those kids complete the courses but you know, I, I started working somewhere else. So I don't really know what happened with them, but I hope that they pursued it and that they're still pursuing it right now because it wasn't that long ago, you know.
0: Would you say that most of the t- students like were able to kind of retain the complicated topics or do you think that they kind of just like had more fun putting the circus together and seeing what they did?
1: So there's always an educational goal, right? It's, it's always this fun thing. It's like, you have to, you got to have a little bit of fun, but the end goal is to teach you how to do something. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, it, there was no formal testing, they weren't getting graded on this stuff, but it was like they had to build a project. And so I think most, most of the kids that finished the projects themselves would tell you that they understood what they were doing. Uh, maybe not initially, but, you know, understanding about Ohm's law or, or some basic law like that, uh, or basic. Uh, programming in arduino how to create a function how to create your own function how to you know manipulate the program to send the information over to the microcontroller could they do that kind of stuff on their own did they learn those topics i'd like to think so i mean they they demonstrated it with their projects but after you know after the projects themselves who knows i don't know if you know if, if it's if you're not something you're, you're using you again you might forget about it but when we finish them i would say that most of the kids that finish those projects did so with an understanding of what they were doing and not just following along or being guided by my, you know, heavy-handed guiding by me. Like, hey, push this, push that. It's, and you can see because they answer questions, or they ask questions or they get stuck somewhere and just give them little hints or, or really you point them to where they can find resources to figure something out. And, um, yeah.
0: We interrupt this interview with an announcement that we're having a seize Candy fundraiser. So you're able to ship anywhere throughout the U.S., and the link is on the description and on our website under active fundraisers. The profit will go towards competition and resources for aspiring STEM students and it ends December 4th. Send someone holiday joy today. What like what would you say are the topics that they like doing the most? Was it, um, like I know that, that the point of the course was for them to, to remember what they were learning, but as far as like, what, like, they had the most fun doing in terms of kind of inspiring them to continue going into the rabbit hole that is engineering or STEM. Like, what do you think really, like, really gets them involved and gets them, like, lit up?
1: What would get them involved or what got them the most excited about the things that we were teaching? Because I can tell you what what wasn't the most exciting was, I would say, um... They weren't too excited about listening to the lectures per se. Like obviously, like they want to they want to manipulate stuff. I think where they obviously the, the transistor is extremely important. So I was teaching them how to use the transistor as a switch so that they could a uh, uh, power MOSFET so that they could. Uh, manipulate other electronic devices that required more power than the Arduino needed. Right. And so I had to get a little bit more technical and theoretical so that they understood. And I was drawing like schematics and, and things of that nature on the board. And, and so the, you, you start to lose them a little bit because it's not uh, tactile. They're not actually touching anything. Um, but if you relate that to, you know, if, if what you're drawing on the board is then something that they're going to go and do um, that always helps. Uh, Obviously, it's a struggle, right? Not everybody always grasps the topic at first. Um, But if I can give you an example of somebody named um, Henry, one of the kids' name was Henry. And, um, you know, he was really interested in growing plants indoors. And it was something that he just wanted to do. He didn't know how to even consider to begin how to control how much water his little plant got or how much light simulated sunlight his plant got. And when he realized that the things that we were talking about in the class, essentially a microcontroller, the Arduino, and a little bit of program and some other mechanical devices like a a solenoid valve and, again, the power MOSFET. And he started to put these pieces together, and he's like, hey, listen, I I had this idea of making this plant system. And I'm like, you know what? You can do all that stuff with this controller here. You can even set it to have timers so that you don't water the plant ever, or you can have it have sensors in the soil so that it measures – uh, you know the uh, the amount of water that the soil has and and then it starts to water the plant for you, and that stuff started to click in his head right and he didn 't know everything about how to program initially, but he was one of the ones that finished the program with the project and lo and behold, he finished this project and it was something he was really proud of uh but again, whether or not they continued with it is you know it 's Open- not i don't i don't know i don 't know you know.
2: You can only do your, your best, right? Like, do what you can now and hope that it sticks so that long-term they're, they're able to continue on it. Um, so sort of co- kind of to steer back into sort of your career path. You work for, um, I mean, you have worked for a smaller business, smaller companies, you work for larger companies, mm-hmm. uh, a company like OnRobot and, and AT&T. How do you compare that sort of um, working for larger companies compared to smaller ones?
1: Well, full disclosure here. Uh, I worked for AT&T for a grand total of eight days, and, and, and that's going to answer a lot of what you're asking me right now, but the reason <laughs> for that is because I went from being essential and, and, and being needed and, and uh, doing everything on my own and like being a really critical team member to just sitting at a desk, and uh, I hated it. I hated working at AT&T. I, I thought it was, you <laughs> can't see this. Uh, <laughs> and it was so boring. There was like, there was so many things. I'll be honest. with you. I, I don't even think I got my own laptop in those eight days. Like, wow, I don't have a laptop yet. And I was like, well, you got to go down to this first floor and they got to set you up with the software. And I sat there for three or four or five days just trying to get a laptop. My mm-hmm. like, <laughs> God, it was ridiculous. You know, the, the, what is it? The, what's what's the process what's the you know this procedure called it's just so so much bureaucracy at a larger company like that it was i needed to ask for permission to do this i needed to ask for permission to do that the software package needs to be installed by these people you got to go down to the first floor to get that done i'm just like Uh when do i actually get any work done here and and what am i supposed to do and that's going to go on to the next part of the question that was a technical project management role I had no idea what I needed to do because I was stuck with a really poor manager. <laughs> I, I'm just be honest. No one's gonna see this. It was a really poor manager, and it was a really p- poor experience that led to a really positive experience. But to answer your question, eight days. Eight days I was there at a larger company. Now at a smaller company on robot. My God, I was needed. I was loved. That was uh, <laughs> appreci- appreciated. <laughs> Hey, go go, go talk to uh, Ricardo about, uh, you know, that electrical engineering problem you have. And uh, it's a much different atmosphere. I think I enjoy it more, honestly. I enjoy more um, the fact that things need to get done and you're the person to do them. You know, the expression is you have to wear different caps every day. Like you, you might be working on solving some engineering, some electrical engineering challenge today, and you might be asked to just help a mechanical engineer finish something else another day and i love that i really do i i love the fact that it just gives you the ability to be at a lot of different places uh every single day it's like it's it's cliche to say oh every day is different but it really was that way every day was different every day was exciting uh even though there were some days that were you know very tedious and very difficult and uh, and rough but for the most part i really enjoyed that uh, that admin and that ambient and that atmosphere of um you know having to be just one of few team members that that really pushes a company forward and we did that in my time that i was there we actually were able to launch a couple of products and it was exciting right like, like this little robotic hand and uh, i remember still it's like hey you know what i remember the days when this robotic hand wasn't working and uh, and then and you're the electrical guy and this is an electrical thing and it's like well here you go figure it out and it's all on your shoulders right and this pressure of, of meaning. <laughs> like this doesn't sound so exciting like people are going to say and all this pressure of meaning the deadlines is really on your shoulders and whether or not the project uh or the product gets launched is uh it's, it's up to whether or not you will you know come up with a solution in time so i find it exciting i know i'm crazy
2: <laughs> I, I totally totally get it i mean the only experience yeah. i've had is working for a smaller company i've always wondered like hey man working for a large company like how cool and interesting would that be, but that being having the ability, ability to wear those different hats. Oh my goodness. It is so nice. It is so nice and re- refreshing every day to be able to do something like that. So I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you were able to find some sort of peace at on robot as opposed to
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I actually left on robot for the AT&T gig. So- there's oh, a, oh! Well, I didn't know what working at a big company was like. Like, yeah, no, you know, no. as a technical, you know, I figured, hey, you know, I developed some really great, ele- you know, hard electrical engineering skills. Like, what is there to do as a technical project manager? And I was intrigued by it. So, um, I, I, you might not be asking or thinking about asking this. Like, do you regret it? I don't regret it. I, I think it was a decision that you know I, I really considered thoroughly before I left. Even though I loved on robot, I felt like. I felt like I, I accomplished what I needed to accomplish at that company, even though I was only there 12 months a year. I felt like, you know, I got us to where I needed to go. Well, I got us to where we needed to go. Obviously, as part of the, of the team, but but I was a critical member to that team. And I just felt like I needed uh, something different, something else. So.
0: I'm the devil's advocate. I feel like I'm the only person that has worked so far in kind of a larger company, um, Aerospace Corpus pretty big and they've they've been around for a really long time. So I guess to the people kind of like wondering what the difference is, there is, I would agree with you. There is kind of like a lot of layers that are involved in like stopping the project, the movement of the project. Like you kind of have to depend on other people in different places and figure out how to navigate. Like who am I supposed to ask for this thing? It's like something similar actually happened to me. I didn't have a work laptop For like a week, I had to go like pick it up, but
1: (laughs) and they what am I supposed to do?
0: Yeah, they had me on a virtual desktop for some time because I didn't know that I was supposed to get a laptop. But my my boss had already put in the request, and the thing is that like the request just gets fulfilled like whenever the IT department like figures it out (laughs) like decides to get it back to you. But at the same time, I do kind of feel like it's really interesting because of the types of projects that we do, like they're, because they're bigger, um, you do kind of end up doing work for some pretty big names. And it, so that's, that aspect of it is pretty fun So, like, even if you are kind of playing a smaller part in this project, I feel like the, the projects that you are contributing to end up being like this really cool enterprise software that that gets used by a lot of different companies. But I don't know if that's different in like electrical versus mechanical and and computer science. Like my job is computer science development like job. So, I mean, I think I still like it though, but I can see like the fun of kind of the rush of like having, working at a smaller company. And I've thought about it too sometimes, like just trying out different things because you do get a lot more, I think, freedom in how you're going to implement stuff, but uh, I don't know. I feel like it's it's probably good to learn both and see kind of where that takes you, but you did, yeah. um, you up. wore several hats, right? So, like, before you even started working on, on robot, you were a contracting electrical engineer for different projects. So, like, tell us about how different the job is for, like, being a contractor and being a lead engineer. I guess we, we can kind of skip the technical project management. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like,
1: let's, let's do that.
0: But, but at least let's compare, like- <laughs> I don't have much to say
1: on it on there. I don't, <laughs> don't have much to say on it. Hey, you cut this part out. You know what the best part of my day was? And I, maybe I shared this with you, was like staring at the, cause it was in, you know, in uh, uh, El Segundo where we talked about this. I had an amazing view of LAX. So that was the best part of being a technical project manager. <laughs> <Was it> very-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would have sat there and waited for that laptop a little longer.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe they should have gotten me my laptop, I guess. But-,
0: <laughs> but yeah, so like let's let's compare the the contractor job versus being like a lead engineer. Because I feel like a lot of people are kinda like they're going into EE or they maybe they're graduating and they're applying and as undergrad I feel like they don't really tell you I even for computer science like that was my experience they don't really tell you like what the differences between the jobs are um so for somebody who's starting their career like what's kind of like or and you can actually go into different types of careers like you don't have to stick to the ones that only you've experienced but based on people you know or like your network kind of talk about the differences between the jobs, like for somebody who's completely lost and doesn't really know, like they're getting the degree already, but they don't really know like what they're
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, I was on that boat and that's why I did that. I was like, well, you know, the year is 2017. I just graduated as an electrical engineer. Fantastic. What do I do now? And um, well, the, the reality is like, I didn't know. I didn't know where I wanted to go in in terms of you know what industry. You know, I'd been to the career fairs at Castet LA and and I'd done that stuff, but working for the power company didn't really interest me. Um working for Raytheon didn't really interest me. Working for uh, you know, other companies that show up to um Casted LA didn't really interest me. And I don't know, like maybe I didn't really know what interested me, right? So again, I, I was really lucky to have met this person um, in in my senior year. I actually met some folks at LSCI, the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, and I knew that that place had a bunch of different small companies, right? And it was a beautiful place, and uh, the idea of working there was really exciting to me. And so I reached out and I said, "Hey, listen, I just graduated. I am an electrical engineer now. Like, is there anything that uh, you think I can help you out with?" And like, I think the first couple of like maybe the first contract I got at LACI was like putting data together was uh, just crunching data like I don't remember exactly what it was but I remember like somebody was like hey you're an electrical engineer you're good with numbers like I need somebody to sort through some data and I was like okay I guess I can do that for a bit and I did that for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden I start to talk to more people and, and and then hey you're an electrical engineer I have a need for this kind of project you think you can do something about this or hey you're an electrical engineer or do you also do software can you work on this kind of project then I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had, was faced with the opportunity of like at least you know trying out a bunch of different projects. And I knew that none of these roles were, were full-time gigs or anything like that, but it was still engineering experience that I could put under my belt, right? And so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm a contractor. What can I help you with? And uh, one of the most exciting ones I actually worked on um, was working on this bottle, this, this mechanical, you know, like a no-spill water bottle that had like a solenoid inside. So when you would tilt it, you wouldn't spill any water and, and that it was fantastic and i met the uh, the guy who uh, who started that small company called lid at laci um and it was fun it was just this fun little project i worked on i also had an opportunity to work on uh some stuff for uh what's it called escape rooms can you imagine working on escape rooms? this is great this is fun stuff And so me and a couple of other contractors worked on, you know, some escape room traps, and uh, that was really fun and exciting. What else did I work on there? Uh, I had an opportunity to work uh, with a company that was building this, this machine that was going to inject hydropolymer in the grass so that when you watered or when it rained this hydropolymer absorbed this excess water that the grass didn't use and it would later you know or gradually release it so that you saved water right and so tremendous ideas and so i was just exposed to a lot of different things and a lot of different companies at the incubator and it gave me an opportunity to really think about more of what i wanted to do but one thing I knew from working at the incubator was that I really enjoyed working in small companies. I really enjoyed working uh, you know, with the smaller teams, which, which I found really exciting because that's really what the incubator was. I liked the idea of being one of the founding members of a company that could potentially go on to do great, exciting things with the product that you're creating, right? And so that's what I really enjoyed most. And that's really, I, I think, what I gathered from my initial time as being a you know, a, a recent graduate with, you know, with with uh no real direction, I should say, but I feel like I'm very lucky, like not everybody gets, you know, those kind of opportunities, and I know that I sought them out, um, and I know that I also networked, and I reached out, but I still feel lucky, like it, it's still this this thing where I remember, like, wow, you know, I really was, you know, I found a gig that I enjoyed, like, almost instantly, you know, even though it was, uh it was nerve-wracking, of course, you know, it, it, it always is being a contractor. It's nerve-wracking. You don't know how long the contract's going to be or, or whether or not they're going to like what you designed, because uh, that's happened. You know, somebody doesn't uh, quite enjoy or understand or, or, or like the, the product that you developed based on, you know, their requirements. That's that's always something you have to deal with. So, yeah. <laughs> did you did you work with, like, a contracting company? No, 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 no. I just did that on my own. Um, so that was just, okay. You, you just, to be a contractor, you, you make some business cards or you make yourself uh, (laughs) and, and you go out and, and most importantly, you go out and you network and you go out and you be social and you go out and you have conversations. And I know it's probably a really difficult thing for some of us to do because I know that not a lot of us in the engineering field enjoy, that kind of stuff but if yeah. you are in, but, <laughs> but, if, but if you are interested in being a contractor half of the gig is selling yourself if you can't sell yourself you know no one's gonna hire you if you're not out there looking for work having conversations with people exposing yourself to you know to, to potential uh, employees that potentially paying gigs it's not gonna happen you know you can't just sit around and and expect that someone's gonna uh, you know, call on you and so yeah you gotta you, you gotta be out there you gotta be, a little, a, you gotta you be ever, a little bit of a salesman
0: did you ever think that there were any other projects that like you wouldn't be able to finish that you got <laughs> as a contractor like what have you what if they they started paying you and like you totally like bombed it like what do you
1: <laughs> no there's definitely a contractor <laughs> Well, look, when you, when you are, I'll tell you this, I'll share a story with you. It was me and a couple of other engineers who actually graduated from Castor LA as well. and a couple of mechanical engineers and we were all contractors on this. Uh, I landed this, this, this contract with a, uh, a very small theater company that wanted us to make them a rotating platform that was automated and electronic. And I was so excited, like, oh my god, I I did it! I landed it. You know, they want they they we went over to the theater and they showed us what they wanted, and you know, obviously I showed up in like a tie and looked as engineer in my mind as I could possibly look. And sure enough, you know, they were willing to trust us with this project, right? The only thing is that they wanted it done in like thirty days or some some ridiculous deadline, and. You know, I don't know how I I came up with something and I said, Hey, listen, let me go back to uh, you know, we we gotta go back to our headquarters and uh, you know, work some numbers <laughs> out and, and we gotta work some numbers out and then uh, we'll give you a call back to, you know, so we can discuss, you know, whether or not this is something that we can do. We go back and we're all excited. We wanna do it, right? Like me and this bunch of electrical engineers that graduated the same year and we're like, Hey listen, we can do this, it's thirty days, whatever, we won't sleep, no big deal, just bring coffee. <laughs> And then when all that excitement died out, you know, maybe a day later, we started to think about it. This is not something we can do on the, you know, the time that they want us to make it on with the budget that they want us to, to, to do it with. And so it was difficult to admit it, but I had to call that guy back and he wasn't happy. Uh, Cause he, in his mind, I had committed myself to the project already. And of course that was a discussion. I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't commit to anything. I simply said I was gonna go back. And so you learn. Uh, to, to try to identify or to, to at least suppress a little bit of the excitement early on in your career, to not take on a project that you don't necessarily know if you're going to finish. And obviously that comes with experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, I made that mistake and almost, I mean, could you imagine taking on that project and, and they wanted that thing done in 30 days and we needed 60 and we didn't realize that we needed 60 until, you know, day 2020 20 or something. It would have been terrible. I would have been like dying of stress. So Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing, uh, to to start that way. The
0: importance of project estimation. (laughs) Uh,
1: It was fun. It was just exciting. Imagine somebody is like, you know, you're out sending, you know, you're being a salesman. Again, I said, you're, you're selling these services, right? You're selling these engineering services and somebody responds to you. "Hey, Hey, absolutely. We'll give you a contract. I think it was either the first or second one that I actually was able to. Uh, the land uh, and, and uh, I mean, it was sad. <laughs> uh, I, I reach out to them and, hey, you know, I'll build you your ramp in 30 days now, you know, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, So, compared to like your lead engineer job, I guess probably the like, be- I feel like being a lead engineer is not something that people feel like they can do as like an entry level job, right? Or like coming fresh out of undergrad right
1: yeah that so was an interesting one yeah, absolutely
0: your, your experience definitely helped you with the late engineering job or was it kind of like unrelated almost
1: i i think it has to do more with your attitude um it has to do with your personality more than anything if you obviously skills are important um but i say that because uh it's always stories right so i i, I was going to start at robot. And I was going to work under a senior engineer, which is what I wanted. I wanted to, to work under somebody who had more experience than I did. You know, I thought it was an exciting thing to, to be working on these projects. But I also looked forward to having a more senior guy. Because at the contractor gigs, I didn't have a more senior guy. You know, it's, it's just I learned, I had to, we all had to learn things on our own. So I, I wanted that, you know, a little bit of mentorship. So the week before I, I, I'm set to start, this gentleman sends me an email to tell me that he's quitting. And that he would like to have a handoff meeting with me, me, the junior and junior guy who's just coming in. And I'm like, what do you mean you're quitting? <laughs> I haven't even started. He quit the Friday before I started. I started on the Monday. And so I, I had maybe, if, if I'm honest with myself, I had maybe about a month cushion. Uh, where it was like, hey, you know, you're, you're the new guy, you know, start with these projects. You know, we know we just graduated a year and a half ago. I, we understand. You know, do this simple uh, board. Uh, if you need help, you know, we might try to help you out or reach out to some other engineer that's around here. He might be able to help you out. And and I got about a by the month cushion, you know, as the junior guy. And then things started to get real serious around month two. Then they started to, hey, you know, let's figure this out. You know, you're the engineer guy. You're the electrical guy here. And again, it, 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 it's a matter of like it's sink or swim. I, I could have very easily cowered and said, you know, I don't know how to do this. You know, I just, you know, I, I don't have this kind of experience. You know, can we bring somebody else in? But I didn't because that's not my personality. It's not who I am. And so I try to resolve the issues that we were having, whatever they were, you know, in month two. Even though I didn't have the most amount of experience, I had tremendous research skills that I pride myself on. Um, tremendous YouTube videos of course tremendous everything there's a lot of resources out there for you and I've met some engineers along the way too like I'd met senior guys who I could you know text or call and they wouldn't charge me for their opinions on things and so and that all goes with being you know with marketing yourself with with making yourself available to other people you network right they might not hire you but hey I use these you know these older gentlemen who were you know, thirty. 25, 30 years of experience in the field. And when I had a question that I felt was worth their time after I'd spent some time researching, I couldn't quite figure it out. I'm very thankful that they were always very willing to help me out. And so to answer the question about being a lead guy, I I don't think that you, um, it it has to be a mentality. And you you can get into like lead versus senior. I think they gave me the lead title because I didn't have the experience to be a senior guy but I was the only electrical engineer who would be willing to take on the task that they were handing out. And so I got lead role as opposed to a senior role, but to be a leader, what do you need to have? I think you need to just, you know, try to be the best possible engineer and, uh, and try to be a team member and try to help other people out and understand that the task is not this solo task, you know, it's, it's a team effort. And, um, yeah. It was an, it was an interesting time too. being a lead, the lead guy at the, at Onro. Cause it was really, I was lead engineer from the day I started. I just, nobody really called me that until, you know, two or three months in when, yeah, when you. I started to, when I started to really feel confident about what I was doing, right. After spending hours and hours and hours and hours, I didn't sleep much by the way, though. So if you're looking to be a lead guy, early on in your career, just something, something's going to be sacrificed. So.
0: Like advice for undergrads, like, I know there's different concentrations. You can go into like signals. You can go into like embedded systems. Like what are, what are kind of those branches? Like, where do those branches land you in the real world?
1: Um, I, I considered being a CS student before I went into computer engineering. What was Uh, your,
0: you said that you did computer engineering specifically was your concentration?
1: That was the concentration I did because I liked both software and hardware. And so I knew that, you know, I got a little bit of both as a computer engineer. i, I like to know how the innards of a computer work, not just, you know, I don't find power like to be the most exciting thing. I didn't want to emphasize, I didn't want to focus or have my concentration in power. It's, again, I didn't want to work for the power company. It's, I, I wanted to, you know, I took a, a discipline or rather a concentration that I thought I would enjoy more in, in a professional career that's how I, that's how I chose computer architecture. But also because I was really into graphics cards and, and really into like com- computer chips and those are topics that are covered in those classes in those course, uh, in, in the in the coursework for the be a computer, to have the emphasis of a computer engineer. Uh, and yeah, that's, it's helped out professionally, but absolutely I, I went that way because it was either pure CS or pure or a little bit of both. And so that's why I chose computer engineering. and. And to a degree, that's why I do CS now, because I, I, I got a lot of electric Obviously, I'm still an electrical engineer with an emphasis in, in uh, computer architecture. So most of the coursework was the bulk of electrical engineering topics with a little bit of CS topics. Well, now as a graduate student, it's just pure CS topics, which I thoroughly enjoy. So
0: Yeah, it's a whole like the comparison between like what your undergrad concentration was and like where that's going to take you in a job. Cause I like, I don't know personally too much. I mean, I could tell you about computer science, how like going into mobile app development is vastly different from doing like pure like software or like management, kind of like project management is like really different. So
1: yeah, well, you know, I I can talk about one class. I, I don't remember the name of it, but professor's name was Parvana and it was, you were dealing with a microcontroller and you were being taught how to program it. Well, guess what you do as an embedded systems guy, you're, you're programming microcontrollers and there's inputs and there's outputs in this class and you got to manipulate the little LED when I was talking about the LEDs. And so now in, in that class, you're programming the little microcontroller to, to turn on an LED or, or, you know, or to spin a little motor and there was a project where we had a little fan that we needed to turn on. Well, that kind of stuff is so relatable in, in the embedded systems. Well, sometimes people just want you to turn on a fan with a, <laughs> with a microcontroller. Maybe it's not a little fan, it might be a gigantic fan. Matter of fact, I turned on a fan with a microcontroller earlier today. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so now, now that we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, you working for other companies and you getting, you know, your contractor gigs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people want to hear about, especially myself, is you starting your own business, which is, you know, Electric Universe. Um, right. I, most of us as engineers in the back of our head are like, Man, it would be pretty cool to kind of start our own company, whether it be automotive, electrical power, whatever it is. So can you right. tell us a little bit about how you sort of started thinking about, hey, this is something I want to do and, and uh, how you went about it?
1: Well, that, that is, that's a great question. And, and let me say that I'm influenced, in that I was influenced in that decision a lot by my mom my mom stopped working for other folks and started working for herself. She owns a daycare now. She, she stopped working when 13 years ago, she just felt like she just wanted to be her own boss. And, um, you know, she's always pushed me to, to do the things that make me happy. And, uh, and being, and, you know, and being an entrepreneur or whatever, or, or having your own business and being your own boss is something that I, you know, I'd see her do like, yeah, she works extremely hard and a tremendous amount of hours, but she, you know, she has this, this crazy freedom that I was like, Oh, wow, this is, this is cool. You know, I'd love to have my own business. And what could my own business be? Well, I happen to be an electrical engineer. Why not sell your electrical engineering services? Right. So I had the experience of being a contractor. Why not turn it into a more formal affair? So I registered, but I I came up with a name of a business, which by the way, is based on a book, little known secret, electric universe. And, um, yeah, I, I just filed the proper paperwork with the state of California and the IRS. And uh, I started, to, I made my own website. And obviously, I already had, you know, connections in the industry. And so nothing, not, not I shouldn't say nothing changed, but I had, I kind of laid the groundwork as a contractor to be, to, to have my own business. It was just more of a formal Going from just being a contractor to being, you know, to formally being, uh, you know, company or to formally having your own company, um, it's 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 a difficult thing. Uh, i would not say it's it's all you know rose-colored glasses or it's all whatever expression you want to use that that to signify that it's always the best thing or it's always happy. There are things you sacrifice. Stability, number one, is the first thing that I tell people if they're ever interested in the starting their own business, like um you you don't know when the next contract is going to come in how long the contract is going to last whether or not people are going to you know refer you to other folks so there's a tremendous amount of uncertainties in having your own business but i feel like if you are providing the services that you say you you're supposed to be providing and and, then you do a good job and you take pride in what you do then most of the time people will enjoy what you provided them and, and either ask you to do more work for them, contract your company again for more services, or they'll refer you to somebody else. But uh, yeah, it's, um, if, if you have, let me, let me be honest. If, if you feel like, if you're this type of person, because I, I feel like this is the type of person I am. If you're the type of person who don't feel like you just want to be a wheel or a cog in the machine and you want to be a trendsetter, a trailblazer, and you feel that inside, and, and you don't know how to express it, I feel like it's a mentality. You either want to do it, or you don't want to do it. And if you're thinking about doing it, then you're that type of person. It appeals to you. The most difficult thing to do is to get out and do it. Uh, the most difficult thing to do is to say to yourself, you know what, I don't want to work at this company anymore. You know, I'm yeah, the benefits are great. The stability is fantastic, but I want something else. I want to work on my own thing. I want to have my own company. I want to, I want to grow it. You know, I want to work on my own projects. Eventually I want, to have employees. Maybe, um, those things really come, um, it, it, they're in you already. And they just, you're having these thoughts already. And if you're having those thoughts, I say pursue it again. Word, you know, fair warning. It's not an easy thing to accomplish, but, um, Nothing, nothing worth doing is easy, right? Another cliche. If, if you feel like it's something that you truly want to pursue, do it. You know, I hate when people say, well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's not stable. Well, absolutely, it's not. Should that prevent you from doing it? Only you can make that decision. Don't let other people make those decisions for you. Go out and do what makes you happy, most important.
2: Probably to get a little more like nitty gritty on it. Um... Yeah, yeah. I mean you're you're, you're taking on a lot of these different projects um I mean they can they can vary from a to z depending on what project it is how do you how do you generally estimate like yeah how do you give project estimates essentially a customer comes up to you tells you hey I need this a project uh next y z and you're like okay well do you start to think about how long is it going to take me do I need more people um things like that so how do you sort of generate an estimate for that for that customer
1: it's a great question. Well, you have to be aware of what skills you possess, where you are, what your strong suit is, um, what is not, well, whether or not you actually bring, need to bring in uh, other team members. Do I need a more experienced software guy? Do I need a mechanical guy for these kind of projects? You, you have to be, you have to make those, obviously it's your company, you have to make those decisions yourself. And so We always want to be honest about all these things. I'm always honest about it. Hey, listen, uh, let me look at this project. Uh, Let me see what I can accomplish in the amount. Let me see first and foremost, whether or not I can accomplish this in the amount of time that you want me to accomplish with under the budget, with the budgetary constraints that you're asking me to do it in. And also, but also me making some money off of it as well. Right. And if I'm always interested in the project as well, that always will vary you know personally again this is my it's my company i do what i want to do um if it's something that i'm interested in and i feel like i have the skills i tend to probably give them a better rate uh because it's something i want to work on if i find it exciting it's not just about making uh you know you know an extra whatever 10 20 hour. it's about getting that experience as well right i mean i'm still a young engineer i'm still in a very early you know uh, portion of my career i want that experience so a lot of the decisions to, to budget projects also influence by whether or not I feel like I'm going to get good experience doing it as well. Uh, and so that, that's really how you have to look at it. And to, to be honest with you, when, when I get asked, well, how much, how much is the project going to charge? Well, depends on so many factors as I just mentioned. Um, do I have to drive somewhere? Is, is this far away? But I always start with at least, you know, like I, I, I talk to all the engineers like, hey, how much are you making an hour? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, I'm making, well, I usually charge $100 an hour. And then I think to myself, well, this guy has like 35 years experience. Can I get away with charging $100 an hour? Maybe. Um, it depends. How good of a Thank salesman you. are you? right? Yeah. How good of a salesman are you? You have to be a good salesman. you got to get into the moment. Of course, you want to make sure you, you, you can accomplish the thing that you say you're going to accomplish. If you are overconfident that you can provide the, the, you know, the person or the company with the services that they require from you, charge more. Absolutely. Charge that $100 an hour. Why not? Other people are going to charge you $100 an hour. It's still a negotiation phase. They may not want to pay you $100 an hour because, well, you only have three years experience. You know, I can get $150 an hour. Got to do it. Then by all means, go do it. You have to be able to negotiate. Now, if you're willing to come down from that $100 engineer hour, come down. If you want to charge more, then charge more. But again... It all depends on what you want to get out of the project. It's not just money; it's also uh, the experience for me. So always keep that in mind. You know, don't just uh, accept the project for the money. Accept it because you're in- interested in either learning something new or, or you're interested in working on that project, right? Um, someone said to me, "Well, I'll, I'll give you twenty dollars an hour to work on this satellite for NASA. I'm in because I'd love to work on a satellite for NASA, right? I mean, these are just things like that I would love to do."
0: How do you go about like factoring in materials? Do you, does your company provide materials for the employees when they're like experimenting or trying to figure out how they're going to create a product or does the company usually pay for it in the estimate or do they usually have facilities already that you can just bring you and your employees into, to like, um,
1: Did you say product or purchasing or purchasing, uh, or purchasing items or materials materials? Yeah. So this is I don't like to again I, I hate the bureaucracy. So I, I, I buy everything and then I charge. Uh, you know, if I need if I need a pump tomorrow, I'm not gonna get on the phone and call the business owner or the person who I'm calling. Hey listen, uh this pump, I need it. Can you I'm gonna send you the purchase order so that your people can purchase it? I have this kind of conversation. Listen. I need to get a pump by today or by tomorrow, whatever the reason is. Uh, this, I I picked the pump that was, you know, that, that fit the requirements the best and wasn't exactly the most expensive pump. And so people enjoy that. Uh, sometimes you, most of the time you'll get like, Oh, fantastic. Thank you for not involving me in all that process. Some people don't enjoy that. Some people will say, well, you know, you should have asked me to do it, but fine. I won't do it again. But most of the time, if I can, if I can get something done quickly, uh, if I can provide the materials, um, I don't like to be bureaucratic about it. I just go and do it. And I'll discuss this too prior to like during the contract, you know, during the negotiation phase. Hey, listen, I'm going to buy everything we need and then I'm going to send you a bill. And obviously, well, if it's something on the over, you know, $500, please call me or, or whatever the reason may be. But that's kind of, it, it, it's with my workflow, right? It goes with my workflow. I don't want, I don't like to stop that workflow. Now, if I can purchase it right now and then, you know, bill you later for it and you know that you're going to get billed for something, then it's all fine and dandy. But again, have those conversations beforehand as well. You know, don't just go and do it. Oh, I bought this $3,000 machine that we need. Well, I didn't want you to spend $3,000 on that machine. So.
0: So from a business standpoint, did you have to like save up a certain amount of capital before you started your business or did you do it through loans? Like, do you mind telling us a little bit about like, <laughs> like where does this money come from to, you know, that, that yeah. you buy stuff with initially when you're just starting out with a business Cause i've done like smaller robotics projects even right. for, like, boss, right. and it right. gets really expensive really quickly like it can get out of hand so fast so how do you like where does that money come is it business loans like how much do you recommend somebody starting out with before they go into a business and like like what was yeah. your
1: doing with that so i started with I say $2,000 around $2,000 and why $2,000? I just felt like that was a good sum of money to start with. But now I just use my credit card and make sure that, to pay that when I never do uh, to purchase anything or um, what you do sometimes, depending on the person that you're working with is you send them a purchase order. I have my, uh, my I have my account with um, entities such as Granger or DigiKey or Mouser. And I'll just send in the bill directly for those kind of things. If, if some people prefer that, like, I'll get the, the items right now, but then you send them the purchase order and then the company takes care of it immediately. So it just depends on who you're working with. But that to really, really answer the question, don't let it be something that prevents you from working on something. You got to find a way. You know, try to find a way. Always try to find a way. Um, if it's not $2,000, $200, then work on smaller projects. You know, start, start somewhere, but just start.
2: Let, um, let's say someone sees this podcast as they will uh, and they're like, you know what? I love this Ricardo guy. Yeah, they do. I get that a lot. (laughs) Very well spoken. What if they want to, if they want to, they want to work for you, they want to work for Electric Universe or work alongside with you. uh, How would they go about maybe reaching out to you and sort of starting that conversation with you?
1: So I have a website, uh, electricuniverse.org. And I use, you know, most of the time I use folks as contractors. Like Electric Universe itself is, um, a two-person entity at the moment because um, obviously I'm still doing other things. My focus is not 100% on growing the company right now. Um, but if people want to reach out to me, I am always willing to uh, to exchange information. Again, you gotta you gotta be social. You gotta network. Uh, if it's not through me, uh, if if I understand that maybe you have some services that or some skills that you can provide to somebody, you're a mechanical engineer. Maybe it's somebody I know along the way that could use your services, or even me myself, a month or two months from now. Um, you know, it's, it's always something it's important. If you want to reach out, reach out. Uh, I can never guarantee you employment because, um, I'm not at that stage in my company yet. I'd love to, I'd love to employ some people. I'd love to employ some golden eagles. Uh, I'd love to do okay. that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think it's something that, that, uh, it, it's, it's a goal of mine So, but yeah, absolutely reach out electric
2: well, thanks for that. And aside from, you know, like you said, it's not your main focus being an electrical university. You're also a graduate student. So as a graduate student, what are the, some of the things that you've learned? What are some of the things you want to learn that you want to learn as far as like being a
1: graduate student? Oh, man. So here's a, yeah. <laughs> I say like some, for some reason, I thought graduate school was going to be easier than undergraduate school. I don't know. <laughs> I don't In know, my mind. In my mind, that made sense uh, through finding a school, through the application process, all the way through about the first or second minute of my first class. uh, (laughs) And I realized, well, this is not going to be easier than undergraduate. I thought it was going to be easier because it's less units. But my God, it's hard. It's not easy. Uh, it's it's a difficult thing to do, obviously. But if again, if you are set on being a graduate student, why not? I'm interested in you know again, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, I wanted that you know that that pure emphasis in CS because it's something that I thought I would enjoy. Uh, you know, I I considered being a CS undergraduate and I didn't do it because I went with computer architecture. Uh, yeah, computer engineering. Sorry. Uh, and so now I felt like I was a good point in my career and in my life to do it and um, I decided to research some schools and you know I settled on Syracuse and everything has been uh, challenging Uh, I'm gonna lie it's a difficult thing to do uh, considering how much stuff I already do adding a graduate school was not an easy thing but again no one's forcing me to do graduate school like uh, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and so I just decided that this was the year to do it and actually started doing it before the pandemic This not a pandemic decision by the way I started grad school before the pandemic. So if you are interested in graduate school, um, figure out if you, if, you know, what school you want to go to, figure out what exactly you want to study, research it a little bit, um, and then apply. Again, if, you, if it's in your mind to do it, then, then do it. You know, I would always recommend, absolutely. The more educated you are, the better, the more beneficial it is for your career, absolutely.
0: What do you think that your thesis is going to be on and like, how are you going to use what you learn in either your business or your projects
1: Ooh. in graduate school oh my goodness absolutely uh, i mean every uh, syracuse it's, it's all project based and so i am touching things that uh, i already implement uh, you know with the electric universe so I'm building apps i've never really built apps before believe it or not
0: and so one of the
1: things that they teach you here is mobile application development and it's difficult to understand and difficult to learn but really fun once you do and now it's like well now i can now hey electric universe provides applications as well (laughs) mobile (laughs) mobile mobile app development with electric universe Uh, you have
0: like some some special thing that you know for sure like you want to do some kind of like you know you're doing ai right i mean i know app development is fun and everything but like is there some kind of like bigger project that you have like your heart set on that you think would be like, Oh, it would be so cool to like.
1: Yeah. So, um, in terms of projects, I think that what I really, here's, here's what I really want. Like I've thought about this a lot. I want Electric Universe to just dedicate itself to animatronics. Um, because I really enjoy animatronics and that's always been the goal of Electric Universe is to, to build my own products. Right now we function as uh, you know, a service provider. But the goal is to make it uh, to branch out and actually do animatronics, right? And so, a lot of the programming I'm learning here, uh, you know, focuses on C Sharp, I'm um, C Sharp, C, uh, which is really useful. Now, I've used C before, but my God, they go into much greater depth than uh, I don't think I would have until probably later on in my career, or, or gained the experience or the skills that I have uh, just from having to solve, you know, problems in a very formal way here at Syracuse. And so that's what I want Electric Universe to be able to do. Number one, I want to be able to, to build animatronics. I love uh, stuff for Halloween uh, or, or Christmas, and I'd love to be able to work on those kind of things. There's this gentleman by the name of Steve Gochi, who I think I met on LinkedIn, and he wrote a book called DIY Animatronics, and it's a great book, and it shows you how to do a bunch of different things. And it's, and it's aimed at people who are not necessarily engineers, and so I feel like as an engineer, I probably have a little bit of a leg up on that. Um, but that's my ultimate goal one of my goals with electric universe is to be able to build animatronics and the other one is to crank out content on youtube and um, the reason for this because i love teaching and i feel like i could make you know a dent in in the content material that uh, exists on youtube i feel like i can uh, explain things in a way that it's not just educational but also fun because uh, a lot of the stuff i feel like i see some youtube videos and come on make this some a little more fun it's a little more uh, exciting than than what i see sometimes and i feel like i can fill that void and somebody's gonna take my idea now oh write this down uh, electrical engineering topics more fun got it so those are the two things that i that i feel like i want to do the most so
2: you, you ever um watch um what's his name uh, uh electro boom Oh, Electroboom! Yeah, 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 yeah. He's
1: hilarious. That guy's funny, absolutely.
2: Oh, my guy. I'm not an electrical, I'm a mechanical, but something about his channel just makes me uh
1: Isn't so... he, he? The guy is entertaining, and he's and he's talking about like you know this obviously if you've never seen Electroboom go watch it. He just does like the craziest things, but he's I teaching know this. you. <laughs> you've seen it he's always blowing stuff up i love it yeah exactly i mean electro boom and it's just so much fun right and it's just exciting and fun stuff and, and i watch a lot of these guys and i'm like you know what maybe i can contribute in a uh, in my own way you know i'm not reinventing the wheel or or presenting new topics but i feel like i can present you know the subject matter in, in my own unique fun and exciting way
2: nice well i'm glad you talked about the youtube channel because that was uh that was pretty much our next yeah, question yeah segue <laughs> perfect segue um so pretty much i mean that leads us to our to our last question i mean you're a man of man of many hats oh. and you're interested to know like where do you see yourself in the future
1: so i have so many uh, i have so many interests but i think that professionally I'd hope that in a few years, the Electric Universe is just its own entity. I hope that the YouTube thing takes off. I don't know, you never know. Um, But that's what I'd like to be. I'd like to just be building animatronics and uh, and, and making some fun educational videos on YouTube. And um, professionally, that's where I see myself, I think. Uh, For a while, I considered uh, being more formally involved in politics. Um, I considered potentially being a city, a council member in the city where I live. I'm not saying, you know, ruling that out. I think it's still something that I'm really passionate about and really excited about. But um, I feel like I scale back and try to focus on one thing and make that thing happen before I start taking on other challenges. Um, uh, So one thing at a time right now. So Electric Universe, first and foremost, finish grad school and then, uh, you know, make that stuff happen with Electric Universe and hopefully at some point, you know, become Know, maybe enter politics i don't know you know it's just a crazy pipe dream of mine yeah,
2: I
0: mean,
1: and by trade we are rational
2: people so, <laughs> it might be so a good thing. yeah
0: it's kind of a funny thing right i mean like you would think that more engineers would be into politics at least i mean like they have they're pretty smart they like infrastructure wise i feel like the planning that goes into it is kind of the same strategy that you come up with a project right like I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't
1: know if like, we, I, I, well, tons to, to go off of what you said, I don't know why there aren't more of us in, in politics. Maybe we just enjoy being engineers too much. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do yeah. feel like, absolutely, I feel like the mentality that we have in terms of problem solving, right? I mean, I always think to myself, you know what the city means is a root cause analysis to <laughs> really figure out what's going on here. And I'm like, why more, why more engineers are not in, into politics? I can't answer that question for you, but I can tell you that this one is. I'm extremely into politics. I love talking about it and uh, not just talking about it. I love to actually be involved and do things about it. So. That's
2: cool. Well, you heard it here first. Ricardo is uh, running in 2024
1: for... 20, 2024, yes. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> I am officially officially announcing my candidacy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he, he comes up in a lot of articles. So if you're really on the political chain, you should check them out. He has several on, let me see, I have the links here. You come out on the LA Times. You came out on. Yeah,
1: I did. You know what's funny? Here's the, it, we, this is super related. A gentleman reached out to me, another electrical engineer uh, reached out to me based on this latest uh, LA Times article uh, that I, you know, that I was in. And he, he he was having, we were having this conversation, like why more engineers are not into politics. But it was interesting cause I'd never met this gentleman. He just looked me up online. He found the website and he sent me an email. And so there you go, two electrical engineers talking about not electrical engineering, but politics. That's cool.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of like ethics stuff that goes into it too, but we'll, we'll stay away from that conversation.
1: <laughs> For, now. <laughs> For now. Yeah, absolutely
0: yeah hopefully we'll we'll get an update from you in the future on how your company is doing and after you graduate and well maybe you know electric universe will be another big name there's
1: there's one thing you can count on is me talking to (laughs) (laughs) gladly join you guys again this is always fun to me i always love talking to you know other other engineers but also other golden eagles
0: thank you for you know talking spending some time with us ricardo and um this has been Staying Money Podcast episode, is this Yay. episode six? <laughs> I, lost, I lost count. I'm losing
1: count. I, I think it's six. Episode I six. I think it's episode six.
0: Now.
2: Awesome. Cool. Thanks for <laughs> I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Anytime. I appreciate you guys inviting me. Cool.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to Same Money Podcast. I'm Mr. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok with the handle CE. You can also check out our website, CE, if you want to check out more stuff about our team. And we also have some merch on there as well. You can also join our saying Money Podcast subreddit if you'd like. Thanks again for listening. See ya. The views information or opinions expressed during the Staying Muddy podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Baja SAE and Cal State Los Angeles.